on Randy Peterson. Thanks, everybody. That was a lot of fun. I, I've never been in a docu-series before, and remember, if you guys know anyone looking to settle down with a sweet, kind, lifelong police officer with night terrors, please give him my card. <laughs> oh, hey, Rutherford, I, I thought our interview was at noon. Huh? Yeah, yeah, actually, I, I got here a little bit early. The uh, the hotel I'm staying at, the manager there was throwing a fit again. Uh, Mr. Winchester, someone uh, filled my mini fridge with tiny plastic doll heads. I know it was you. Hey, uh, who are all those people? Was that like a film crew? Sure was. They're making a series about the SJK murders. The what? The Salmonville Janitor Killer? You haven't heard about him? He's been active for years now. Has a penchant for killing janitors. Always steals the cleaning supplies. Pretty interesting stuff. It's it's gonna make for a real great program. What? Are you serious? There's been a serial killer here and I'm talking to you about a fucking postal crime? Who's making the documentary? Oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Uh, hey, hey, Rutherford. Uh, I went on a date last night and she was talking about something called edging. Should I try that out? Yes, but Randy, who is making the documentary? Oh, it doesn't matter, really. Randy, who? Oh, boy. It's a Netflix miniseries. Fuck! Well, can you maybe get me in touch with the director? Oh, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing something like that. Fuck! Hi, I'm Rutherford Winchester. Last week on the Salmonville Letter Writer, I was shot in the leg. I also got to look at the first three letters sent by the mysterious Salmonville Letter Writer. Those three letters, shocking as they may have been, were only just the beginning. The Letter Writer wasn't done with Sally Johnson, Kathy Stanford, and especially not Donald Hemsworth. But I can't blame them there. I mean, Donald is just... he's... well... In his line of work, you'd probably call him Grade A Beef. Since meeting him, I often wonder what it would feel like to be wrapped up in Donald's arms on a rainy night. I bet it'd feel... safe. Like nothing in the world can penetrate the love in the room right now. <sighs> anyway, after the first three letters were sent, the letter writer went silent for a week. Salmonville residents waited, wondering who would be blackmailed next. I spoke to town historian Lester Stanby. Listen, Rutherford, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me having a drink on a Saturday night. Loosen the fuck up, dude. You're start. You sound like some kind of a vegan, like you do yoga. Ugh, I, I think I'm better than other people. Jesus, Lester, it's Tuesday morning. That's the spirit, Rutherford. Okay, so anyway, the letters, right? The letters, they started coming. People were on edge, dude. Everybody was starting to accuse other people of being the letter writer. It's pretty wild. As uh, one guy, uh, I forget his, um, there you go. I don't know. Let's just call him Chris Kyle. So Chris Kyle, he became convinced his neighbor was the letter writer. He decided to take matters into his own hands. 
uh, Chris set up a, a sniper in the window of his attic, and he tried to kill his neighbor. Uh, he ended up shooting a postal worker by accident, which is fine. Fuck the postal service. You can't even drink in there. They'd fucking judge you. The letter writer had Salmonville in their grip. But what was it that they were after? Justice? Money? Power? A mix of the three? Or were they just bored? As the case became more highly publicized, the pressure mounted on Randy Peterson, lead investigator of the Salmonville PD. Oh, it was crazy back then. All these reporters asking me about the letters. Uh, now remember, I was only 15 at the time, so here I am, this pimply little boy with camera shoved in my face, and I'm trying to solve a blackmail case. Uh, it was too much. Uh, I hadn't even lost my virginity yet. Uh, and the reporters knew it. They'd make fun of me all the time. But really, there was not much more I could do until another letter was sent. Now, everybody thought uh, Randy Peterson would be the next person to get a letter. Everyone in town really liked to make that guy cry. It was very easy, wonderful pastime. I don't cry much anymore. Uh, you catch your spouse cheating on you enough times and the emotions pretty much shut off, you know? Sometimes I hold my hand over a lighter just to feel uh, something. A new letter would come on June 23, 1973. It was sent to the campaign headquarters of mayoral candidate Jason McCaffrey. At the time, uh, McCarthy's numbers were skyrocketing, dude. He did an eight ball during a stump speech, and everybody loved that shit. Like, all he really had to do uh, was ride that high to the election not the coke, I mean, like, the actual, like, people liking him. And the election was in a couple months, so I think he he just might have been able to get some of his ridiculous plans done. The guy was not really stable, he was kind of a nut. He, like, he publicly condemned the town government for allowing fracking. Like, what a fucking buzzkill, dude. McCaffrey was not a shy man. He was critical of those in power and gained a lot of enemies as a result. He was especially contentious in the throes of his 1973 mayoral campaign. The man did not pull any punches. You know, about a few months ago, I was in Indiana, and I meet this kid, he was probably about 14 years old, and he says his name is Michael Pence. And this weird little fucker is a young Republican, and he's just rattling on and on about all this shit about taxation and the Constitution and ignoring a public health crisis. Now, I already have two strikes in Indiana, so I did not beat this child up. McCaffrey like everyone else in town, was enamored with the letter writer. McCarthy, that earthy, crunchy fuck, dude, he saw an opportunity with the letter writer case. He thought, like, if he condemned the letter writer, it would make him look hard on crime, which would have really helped his numbers uh, with the elderly. Like, the old people around here justifiably hate the Irish. They weren't too keen on the dude. I mean, justifiably, worst type of white. I mean, Italians aren't white if they were, probably them, but, you know. The elderly vote bolstered the campaign of Salmonville's current mayor, Mayor Henderson. I spoke with Michaela Feathers, Jason McCaffrey's former campaign manager. Running the McCaffrey campaign was my first important political gig, so it's always been special to me. I've run a lot of crucial campaigns since, don't get me wrong. In my career, I've worked with progressivist heroes like 
uh, John McCain, Mitch McConnell, and the Queen of Shade, Nancy Pelosi. I'm clapping. But McCaffrey, well, he was a rock star. That man could have a room full of youth hanging on his every word. I mean, sure, the cocaine budget for the rallies was hefty, but this was a politician getting kids to listen. That's a wet dream for campaign managers. Around the time of the letters, we were pulling 15% over Henderson. Michaela did not want McCaffrey to speak about the letter writer publicly, as she feared that it would hurt the campaign's momentum. When I told him that during our nightly strategy meeting, he looked me in the eyes and said, Oh, Jesus, Michaela, you, you gotta do something about that ghost behind you. It's gonna get you if you don't do something. He, he was on a lot of mescaline that night, I think. But I knew... I couldn't change his mind. He was going to talk about the letter writer. On June 22, 1973, McCaffrey spoke publicly about the letter writer for the first time in an interview with the Salmonville News Network. He was interviewed by Chet Firestorm, Salmonville's biggest celebrity, and his co-anchor, Mindy Marshall. everyone and welcome to Salmonville News at 7 here on SNN. I'm your host Chet Firestorm and my jawline can cut diamonds. And I'm Mindy Marshall, the only person on this network with a journalism degree. Oof, Nancy, that tone of yours could cut diamonds too. <laughs> oh Chet, you kidder. I can't believe you took time away from looking in the mirror to insult me like that. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight, SNN has an exclusive interview with mayoral candidate Jason McCaffrey. McCaffrey agreed to participate on the condition that he could make an announcement at the top of the interview. Before I play McCaffrey's statement, I feel that it's important to mention that he was on quite a bit of horse tranquilizers at the time of the interview. Frankly, he was nearly resting his head on the microphone. Thanks, Chad. I'm here tonight to speak to one person. The Salmonville Letter Writer. If you're watching this at home, and I am sure that you are watching this at home, I'm here to tell you one thing. Leave the people of Salmonville alone. You seem content with blackmailing these nice people while hiding behind your pen. And I'm here to tell you if I am elected as mayor, I will make capturing you the number one priority of this town government. In a town like Salmonville, we don't use our words to solve problems. We use actions. And if need be, gratuitous, hyper violence. I am not afraid of you or your cowardly letters. I am an open book. If you send so much as one more letter, I am declaring an all-out war on you. As my cousin Bobby Kennedy once told me, never back down when you truly believe in something, Jason. Also, bulletproof vests are complete, total mockery, malarkey, and a sham. Thank you. And remember, a vote for McCaffrey is a vote for the Irish. Thank you, Mr. McCaffrey. I wanted to ask about your campaign financing. It's a matter of public knowledge that your campaign has shattered previous crowdfunding records. 
Have you kept detailed records to indicate that these funds are being used appropriately? And if so, what- Sorry about that, Jason. Mindy sure does ask a lot of boring questions. Now tell me, are you dating anyone? McCaffrey's threat took the town by storm. That speech made our polling numbers shoot up even more. We spent the whole day at HQ celebrating. It was a crazy day. I'm pretty sure some of the interns had a four-way. One of the four was, like, sort of left out, though. Kind of like he wasn't even there. It was so long ago now, but I feel like his name was Evan. Evan was always really bad at putting himself out there when it mattered most. But the party came to a grinding halt once the mail came. It was June 23rd, 1973. The Salmonville letter writer had struck again. Now, I neglected to mention the name of the voice actor who plays the letter writer on the show last week, so now I'm going to do it. His name is Justin Ar... Ar... Ardo... Armando... Fuck that, I can't, I can't read that word. Mr. McCaffrey, I can't lie to you, sir. I'm impressed. You really had me going there for a moment. Your brash words, your empty threats, your complete delusion. A worthy politician, I must say. You've put me in an awkward position here, Mr. McCaffrey. I have a file on you, sir. And this file is full of information. Ties to the Mafia? Ownership of a cocaine operation out of state? Your planned annexation of Italy? It's all there. But you and I both know that that will only make you more popular in this godforsaken town. I do, however, have one worthwhile bit of information. Your alleged familial relationship with the Kennedys? That I can easily disprove. In fact, I have a DNA test that can prove it. If you're outed as just a regular Irish person, Well, I don't have to tell you how bad that will be. Your entire campaign will evaporate. All the hard work your staff did, the O.J. Simpson endorsement, it'll all be for nothing. I'm giving you one chance. You and I could work together, you know. If you become the mayor, you'll need dirt. Perhaps a relationship between the two of us could be mutually beneficial. Meet me on the outskirts of town tonight, the spot where you meet your coke guy. I trust you'll make the right decision. Sincerely, The Salmonville Letter Writer. This marked the first time The Salmonville Letter Writer asked for a direct meeting. The letter suggests that the letter writer hoped to quickly end their quarrel with McCaffrey. McCaffrey had a number of options at his disposal. He could ignore the threats and continue his campaign, report the letter to the Salmonville PD, or he could even have taken the letter to the media. Once we got the letter at HQ, Jason's demeanor completely changed. He was laser-focused. Must have reread the letter 50 times before he said anything to us. McCaffrey, never one to turn down a challenge, decided to meet with the letter writer in secret. There is a lot of speculation that McCaffrey would have indeed chosen to work with the letter writer if it could benefit him. Others suggest that he went with the lethal intention of killing the letter writer as he was fiercely defensive about his Kennedy-linked lineage. We'll never know for sure. Jason McCaffrey, who many considered to be the last hope for Salmonville, would not survive his meeting with the letter writer. After he told us his plan to meet with the letter writer, 
Jason got up and went into his office for a couple hours. I don't know what he did in there. Maybe he wasn't going to be the same after that night. Before he left, I told him to be careful, that we have a campaign to win. He looked back and said, oh, Of course we do. I'm a goddamn candidate. Then he went and spoke with Evan. The shy intern? I have no idea what was said between them, but Evan became much more involved in the foursome after that. He really bloomed. Maybe that was McCaffrey's last bit of goodwill unto all men. I like to think so. Jason McCaffrey drove to the outskirts of Salmonville. He arrived at his usual spot where he bought cocaine for himself and his staff, just off the road, towards the entrance of the Salmonville Correctional Institution. This particular prison was the most heavily guarded and housed prisoners deemed, quote, threatening to the lifestyle and public safety of those in Salmonville. The prisoners mostly consisted of convicted murderers and any person that had stepped foot into a Planned Parenthood office. Now, uh, McCarthy's spot was a dangerous one. The only reason he ever met with his dealer there uh, was because the dealer himself was a guard at the prison. He's not, well, he wasn't like a guard. He was a bear trainer. Uh, Jeff Lamond owned the prison. He was really concerned about anyone breaking out of there and telling the press uh, what goes on inside. Like, money wasn't a problem uh, for him. So he went all out. He had 10 uh, non-domesticated bears that roamed the grounds outside of the prison. Not gay men, like bears with teeth that eat people. Um, and Jeff, Jeff's dealer, uh, the guy that dealed to Jeff, was the guy that fed the bears. I think his name was Lars. He was a fucking awesome dude, like one of the kind-hearted gentlemen. Uh, what McCarthy didn't know was that uh, Lars, uh, his dealer, had just gotten busted uh, selling Adderall to elementary schools in the area. So the other guards set deer traps up so that the bears could be fed. What happened that night remains unclear. All we know for sure is that security footage captures McCaffrey's car near Salmonville city limits around 9.30 p.m., and the first call reporting McCaffrey's death came in at about 10.25 p.m. Lead investigator, Randy Peterson. The McCaffrey death was, well, well, it was chilling. I'd never seen something so gruesome in my life up to that point, until the 90s when the Salmonville janitor killer became active. Man, that's it's really such an interesting story. Can you tell me more about that? Unfortunately, no. I'm under contract with Netflix now. I hope they let me read for Master of None Season 3. Uh, but, but I can give you the details of McCaffrey's death. <sighs> Fine. From what we gathered, McCaffrey was running away from something at the time of his death. Whether or not that was the letter writer is up for debate, but... We didn't find anything at the scene to prove that. McCaffrey's autopsy showed that he had a lot of cocaine in his system, which we figured was a given. This was the 1970s. The government had just started churning this cocaine stuff out to the public, so no one really knew about the dangers of it then. What we knew for sure is that while he was running, his leg was caught in a deer trap. Uh, he was basically pinned to the ground. McCaffrey reportedly cried out in pain, which caught the attention of a prison guard who was stationed in a tower on sniper duty. Mistaking McCaffrey as an escaped prisoner, the guard fired two shots at him. One bullet hit his buttocks. The scene was gross, don't get me wrong, but seeing that he got shot in the butt, well, we all had a good long laugh about that. <laughs> Took us a few minutes to realize that the other bullet hit him in the head. It's not like it mattered, though. The bears had already gotten to him long before us, so it's not like getting him to the hospital would have done anything. Jason McCaffrey was 34 years old. 
It was a horrible day, but I know that Jason would have been proud. So many important people came. O.J. Simpson, Frank Sinatra, Dustin Hoffman, oh my god, everybody. Ted Kennedy even showed up, which would have touched Jason, but it was a little too close to the whole thing back in Massachusetts a few years prior, so um, we asked him to leave. I was heartsick over the death of Jason McCaffrey. We may not have seen I die politically, but I didn't want to see him die like that. I should have been the one to kill him. All that said, I turned my focus to the people of Salmonville. In honor of Jason McCaffrey, this episode's transition music will be his favorite song, A Big Old Bucket of Beer, by the band Lucky the Leprechaun and his five redheads. No, that can't be the name of the band. That's racist. Wow, you know, I looked it up and that's actually the name of the band. That is in... that's in horrible taste. Anyway. Last episode, you may remember that my idiot boss sent an intern down to Salmonville to edit these podcasts for me. Hey Rutherford, do you mind doing another take on page 16, line 9? The audio quality is a bit choppy. Yeah, listen kid, I'm kind of busy in here. Uh, sir, I don't mean to, I don't mean to be rude, but you're, you're watching The Daily Show with, with Trevor Noah, sir. Alright, this is my me time, okay? D- does that fucking register with you? I, I need time to myself, okay? Fuck! As you can probably tell, this wasn't gonna work. So I just let the intern take a little vacation and chose to edit the podcast myself. At the end of the day, I'm a self-starter, and I feel like- Hi, everybody. Um, I'm, I'm the intern, Ivan. Uh, Rutherford has not edited anything. He's kept me locked in, in this hotel room for ten days now, and he only feeds me when, when he feels like it. If you can hear this, please send police to room 243 of the Salmon Bill Inn. Please save me. Breaking news for you at the top of the hour, I'm Chet Firestorm. And I'm Mindy No time for that right now, Mindy. We have just received reports that Jason McCaffrey, candidate for Salmonville mayor, has been found dead. He was 34 years old. Oh, almost as old as you, Mindy. McCaffrey's death sent a ripple through Salmonville. Public interest turned to fear. Residents were glued to the news every night for updates on the case. Chet Firestorm, fresh off signing his lifetime contract with SNN, now had the biggest story of his career. Chet Firestorm uh, was a real rock star in Salmonville. Eh? He was like a well, like a fuckable Tom Brokaw. Like people hung on his every word, dude. Even before the letter writer, Chet was a huge celebrity in Salmonville. Audiences loved his reporting. Hi, I'm Chet Firestorm. Our top story tonight is the Brady Bunch making your children polyamorous? Our top story tonight, Jim. Good for dogs? 
Hi, I'm Chet Firestorm. Our top story today, local supermodel seen on date with television celebrity Chet Firestorm. Oh, you guys, uh, top story, really? <laughs> I, wow, I, I figured Russia's nuclear warheads would go to the top. Chet Firestorm reporting on location in Jonestown. This reporter has only one thing to say. <laughs> this place rocks. Chet's co-anchor, Mindy Marshall, was not as popular as he was. Mindy was an absolute pro, dude. A fantastic journalist. Her, her reporting blew Chet's out of the water, but she didn't have uh, his charisma. In short, the Nixon administration has shown time and again that it's willing to break whatever laws stand in the way of their plans. It's a slippery ethical slope that I'm not sure this country can stay on. Oh, Mindy, looks like you become the latest victim of the prankster in me. <laughs> you should see the look on your face. Great work, great work, though. <laughs> in the week following McCaffrey's death, no letters were sent out. But still, no one in Salmonville felt safe, especially those who had already received a letter. Sally Johnson wasn't available for comment, but she did send me this written statement. Quote, Even though I hadn't gotten a letter in two weeks, McCaffrey's death shook me to my core. I was terrified. My husband was beginning to suspect something was off after I had moved my most valuable rocks out of the house and into a secure location. Hey Rutherford, check out my latest rock. I call this one Jazz, because I tell a lot of people I'm really interested in this rock, though I secretly do not care for it. End quote. She's really just... she's such a strange woman. I then spoke to Kathy Stanford and Donald Hemsworth. Yeah, I saw about McCaffrey. I was worried, but I just kept driving my bus, muzzling the kids, and placing my bets. I couldn't worry about the letter writer being after me. Hell, there were already six or seven bookies that I owed money to after me. I just kept on trucking. I felt really bad for McCaffrey, but I knew I was safe. The letter writer... He just kept sending me pictures of his ass. Sometimes he would include poems with the pictures. They were actually pretty good poems. Mr. Hemsworth, roses are red, my heart is blue, I can't go a second without dreaming of you. Keep working on your meat. Keep it tender. Maybe one day, I'll be the one in your meat blender. Sensually yours, the Salmonville Letter Writer. Okay, you know what, Rutherford? I don't, I don't even want to use my name on this one. The whole town wondered who would be the letter writer's next target. Their answer came on June 30th, 1973. Chet Firestorm had just gotten the story of a lifetime. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Salmonville News at 7. I'm Chet Firestorm. And I'm Mindy Marshall. Earlier today, our offices received an unmarked letter with my name on it. Inside was an additional letter, a small note with instructions, and a wasteful amount of golden glitter. The instructions state I am to hand Chet this letter in my hand to be read live on the air. If Chet stops reading, our broadcast will be cut short. So Chet, here you go. 
Thank you, Mindy. My, your, your hands are clammy. <laughs> Let's open this letter, shall we? Oof, that's a, that's a ton of glitter. I can tell you one thing. This reporter would never allow his broadcast to be interrupted. <laughs> Let's see. Mr. Firestorm, this is the Salmonville letter writer. Pause. Before Chet reads his letter, there's a few things you should know about. For one, this would be the first time Salmonville residents would get to hear the contents of a letter. Up until this broadcast, most of the letters were locked away by police. Next, Chet had some secrets of his own. Now Chet, like all Americans, is entitled to his private life. Whatever he does in his own home is his business. And he took his privacy pretty seriously. His house was gated to block off paparazzi. He had two security guards outside his house. People were rarely seen entering the home. His celebrity status was unquestionable, but part of what made him so popular was the mystery surrounding his personal life. I talked to Lester Stanby, who had just fallen out of a chair. Ah! Fuck! Ah, oh, that was my tailbone! Fuck! Oh, Jesus Christ! Oh! Uh, you seen that video of Chet having a, a mental break? <laughs> that shit was hilarious. Mr. Firestorm, this is the Salmonville letter writer. Are you surprised to hear from me? I'd think not. You have a horde of adoring fans, Mr. Firestorm. Oh, do those fans know what you do at night? Do they know that you... <clears throat> that you spend your nights at home pretending to be a baby? Do they know about the adult-sized crib? What about your adult-sized high chair? Do you think they know about the diapers? I only have one thing to say to you, Chet. Does baby want his bottle? There you have it. An admittedly ridiculous letter from the letter writer. Chet, do you have anything to say about these baseless allegations? Well, Mindy, this this widow this widow is uh, it's it's written by a big old meanie. Uh, he he gave me a big boo boo. Chet, what are you doing? Be serious. That widow is that that letter is a mean. I'm, I'm a good baby. <laughs> Jesus, relax. Chet, what are you doing? I don't know why you're acting like this. I, I'm not your babysitter. I'm, I'm really, honestly not even sure how to deal with this situation right now. And you're freaking me out. So... I want my puzzle. Chet had had a complete mental break live on air. From this point on, Chet was only able to communicate in baby talk. Could this be from sheer embarrassment? Or was the letter true? Well, the short answer is yes, the letter was true. And I don't, I, I, look, I know that kink shaming isn't cool. And to be honest, I don't even know if Chet's thing classifies as a kink, but like, Jesus Christ, it's true. And it, it, it was just so fucking weird what he was doing. It's easy to laugh at shit. Hell, I always do watching him on the news. <laughs> it makes me feel better about me, you know? Uh, but I feel for the guy. He wasn't like hurting anybody. Sure, he lied a lot, but this is news. I don't trust fucking media, you know? Uh, There's no worse than anybody else there. In the days following that broadcast, it, it was discovered that Chet was using a device called a SABCP. Salmonville Adult Baby Caretaking Practitioners, an underground business that catered to Chet's needs. I spoke with their owner, Nicholas Knight. A line of work like mine is messy, sure, but we're helping people, and that's what makes it easier. Nicholas describes Chet as an AB, or adult baby. Nicholas himself is a CP, a caretaking practitioner. CPs specialize in taking care 
of ABs. God, what the fuck? ABs are everyday people like you or I. The only difference is that they behave like babies. SCPs are tasked with feeding into this illusion by feeding them baby food, reading them books, teaching them their letters, burping them, changing them. It's like being a hospice nurse, but somehow less cute. Now, Chet was a frequent customer of ours at the time. Unlike most ABs who would hire us infrequently, Chet required nightly work, overnights, daytimes, playdates. He was really committed to being an AB. His entire three-story was basically one large playroom. He slept in a crib. Nanny, Manny, Chet didn't care who took care of him. He just wanted two things. To know he was a good boy, and he wanted his bubba. Many figured that Chet would be fired from SNN. Unfortunately for them, Chet had recently signed a lifelong contract with Jeff Lamond. I spoke with his granddaughter, Beatrix. My grandfather could write a mean contract. Seriously, he had people signing away their lives to him, and they barely noticed. In this situation, that proved to be his downfall. Grandpapa was certain that Chet could make him money for decades to come, and he sure didn't want to lose him to those NBC pricks. So... He drew up a standard lifetime contract, which Firestorm signed in his blood. Willingly, I might add. Sadly for us, that contract meant that we couldn't fire him after the whole baby thing. The news got really weird after that. He could read fine, but he couldn't stop talking like a damn baby. Hi, everybody. I'm Chet Firestorm. I'm Mindy Marshall. President Nixon has vowed to stay the co- <coughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Oh my god. Oh my god. What is that smell? <laughs> I made an uh-oh. Chet, did you- uh, No, no. Jesus Christ, what the fuck? I don't get paid enough to put up with this shit. Chuck, you're 38 years old. Stop this. Uh, Mindy, we're on the air right now. You can't just walk away. Can someone get Chet a diaper? Can we, we're going to go to commercial. Can someone get Chet a diaper? Chet was soon demoted to co-anchor. Mindy took over the head anchor position, a position that she still holds today. Chet now broadcasts from an adult-sized crib next to the news desk. Chet and Mindy are said to be on much better terms than they were in the 1970s. Quite a touching story, really. One life lost. Another changed forever. The Salmonville letter writer was beginning to leave a trail of carnage and destruction in their wake. Salmonville was now completely at the mercy of the letters. Interest soon turned into fear. Fear into terror. Terror into a brief horny period, and then right back to terror. While it didn't seem possible at the time, things were going to get so much worse. On the next episode, the investigation into the Salmonville letter writer's identity intensifies. The letter writer also begins sending follow-ups to previous letter recipients. We'll talk further with them, the mayor, and Randy Peterson. Until then, I'm Rutherford Winchester, and this 
is the Salmonville letter writer. Please, please contact the authorities. Running out of food, only drinks and the mini threads are, are nips and I think the I think the mighty mighty Boston's are playing a, a local show here and I don't I don't want to be put through that. Please save me. The Salmonville Letter Writer's artwork is done by graphic designer Haley Mulvey. You can contact her on Instagram for commission work at HaleyMulvey underscore design. The Salmonville theme is written and performed by Max Shulkov. You can find him on Twitter at Carl Maximilian. I'm Ben Loftus. I write the show and play Rutherford Winchester. This week's cast includes Al Christakis, who you can find on YouTube at Al Christakis, Sarah Fristo, who you can find on Twitter at Rodent Sheriff, Alex Lennon-Simon on Twitter at SheilaKeyBookie, Jacob McDowell on Twitter at SewerTeen69, Callie Webb on Twitter at OldPalCal. You can also listen to her podcast, My Friend Show, the podcast, on Apple Music and Spotify. Ivan Tenreo on Twitter at Joanna Newsom 41 Riley Halliday. You can visit her websites at thriftsandprints.com or her Instagram at thriftsandprints. Neil Linsky on Twitter at Neil Linsky, Alex Forrest on Twitter at HitchWillSmith. Alex and Neil have also started a new webcomic together named People of Beer, which you can follow on Twitter at People of Beer. Patrick Doran at Lunch Enjoyer. You can listen to his podcast, Podcast About List, or watch his independent film, Jexy, wherever you stream your movies. Jamie Loftus at Jamie Loftus Help. You can also listen to her new podcast, Lolita Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And lastly, Carter Hambly, who also provided additional writing for this episode. We'll be back next week on Monday. Thanks so much.